Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. We are in our third part of a series that we've simply just called What Child Is, what child is This? Because so many times that's we, we can simply get focused on a limited aspect of who Jesus is. And Jesus is so much bigger. That's one of the most wonderful things about living as a Christ follower is this ongoing discovery of who Jesus is and what he's done. Most of us come into the kingdom of God and we recognize that, that there's something out of whack with us, that something's, something's off, something's broken, something's messed up. And, and the Holy Spirit confirms that we need a Savior and that Jesus is Him. And, and we have a moment where we, where we recognize the gospel, that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And we say, yes, I believe that. And we embrace Jesus as Savior. And we step over from death to life. And we embrace the fact that we're a child of God. And we're heaven ready in that moment. Not having done anything to earn it whatsoever. But simply receiving it as a gift. And then we go from there and we discover. That in that gift. There's another gift. And then another gift. And then another gift, and, it, and the, the, the gift of Jesus is so much bigger. And that's what we want to look at in this series, is as we think about that baby in the manger, as we think about that Christmas scene, that do we reflect on Jesus simply as Savior, or do we reflect on the fullness of who Jesus is? It's vital. If you got your iPhone or Sorry, I don't want to plug Apple there. You got your smartphone. Um, and, uh, or you, to watch, follow on new version or your old school paper notes that we handed you, you can follow along with our notes. And we've looked at this concept over and over again. It says that Christmas is the time for us to reflect on the greatest gift we've ever received, Jesus. And, and we've come from this launching point. Because Isaiah 9-6 so wonderfully begins to unfold and peel back the onion of who Jesus is. And Isaiah 9-6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. How wonderful. This wasn't earned. This was just an act of giving, of generosity. God gave his son. He says, And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. We looked at that the very first week, that he is our amazing counselor. That when we don't know what to do, his wisdom is available to us. We don't have to walk around in ignorance and stumble through this life, trying to, trying to just trying to fail forward where we can. We've got a God who loves us and inhabits us and wants us to move from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Where we understand who he is and then we understand a little deeper and a little deeper and we grow in that. It is a beautiful thing in that and God's given us a wonderful counselor. He's given us a mighty God. Looked at strong God last week that our God is, is strong and he, his presence and, and who he is changes everything in our lives. He's an everlasting father. We're going to look at that today and then he's the prince of peace. 
And I love it that Isaiah, when he begins to, to, to speak all those years in advance of Jesus' arrival, that he begins to prophesy to the nation of Israel that this is going to take place and a child is born and, and a son is given and, and the, the government, the power, the rule is going to be on his shoulders. And, and that could have been enough, but he, he goes deeper and begins to unfold it. Why? Because we need to know the fullness of who Jesus is. We need to know it. You need to have an understanding of the fullness of who Jesus is for you. And that's what the Holy Spirit comes and does. Why? Because if we we could hear of Jesus and miss him because he's presented under a different name. They say, well, he's your wonderful counselor. If you didn't know Jesus is your wonderful counselor, the Holy Spirit could could be leading you in that direction and you just completely, completely miss it. Because sometimes you can, names matter. Sometimes what things are called matter. Sometimes what it's made of matters. And uh, I think Lulu volunteered to work somewhere else because she knew I was going to tell this story on her today. And so, but Lulu is, uh, she loves to, uh, to be in dramas and all that. She's been a part of some of the productions that get put on by the San Angelo Broadway Academy and you the singing and dance and all. It's a big deal. If you've never attended one of the, those, it's a big deal. And during when they get into the final rehearsal time, well, it's a real big deal is they have everybody there and you have all these kids. And I can't imagine trying to contain and handle all these kids who are waiting their turn and have everything in the back trying to keep them entertained as somebody else is coordinating what's happening on stage. And, and Lulu would be there for a long periods of time. And finally, she's like, well, man, I'm taking everybody's everybody gets hungry. And that little girl, Lulu, she seems sweet, but man, her blood sugar gets low. Woo. Man, I tell you what, you better get that girl a snack. They made those Snickers commercials for her. And so she took, she wanted to stay the sweet Lulu. So she took her a little bag of a little bag of goldfish. So she had some of her little her favorite little snacks. This was a few years ago. She had some goldfish. Well, thankfully, she wasn't a selfish child. So she's sitting back there in the back, and she begins to, you know, she has her snack, and she's satisfying her, her needs, and she sees some of her friends, and maybe they have some sad looks on their face, and she's like, would you like some goldfish? And she begins to share her goldfish. And so she's sharing those out there, and she goes to one of her little friends, and she's like, would you like some goldfish? And the girl's like, um, no, 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 I can't have gluten. And Lulu says, it's not gluten, it's goldfish. I'm like, Lulu, it's okay, baby girl. But she just didn't know. She just didn't know that that, w- that that was part of it. Thankfully, the girl that didn't need gluten knew. Thankfully, the girl that needed to stay away from it, that she had an, un- she had an understanding of what it was really involved and what was really in there. But Lulu didn't. And that's what I want. Uh, I want us to make sure we have a full understanding of when that little that little baby wrapped in those swaddling claws and, and, and laid in a manger of what all was in there. There was so much more in there. And so because we're so used to the translation that I read, we've actually been keying off of the message translation. And the message translation reads very, very similar. And it's Isaiah 9, 6 again in the message translation. And it says, for a child has been born for us. 
the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Wholeness. Man, what a wonderful thing that when God gave us Jesus, He gave us all of these different things. And today we want to to key off of this, this concept of God as our amazing, everlasting Father. See, God is our everlasting Father and will always be there for us. He never, ever quits on us. See, Isaiah is written, it was written in Hebrew. And this, we do our best to try to translate Hebrew into concepts that we can wrap our minds around. But actually, the best translation of that Hebrew word that is everlasting or eternal father is actually perpetual. But that just doesn't seem very very compelling to us in the English language, perpetual. He's our perpetual father. Well, that doesn't sound warm and cozy until you begin to think about it, that it is just this, it goes on and on and on. He never quits. He never quits being our father. I've shared this story multiple times just because it was so amazingly impacting on me, and uh, Nat and I were part of a team that took our youth years ago to a, um, to a big event uh, in Dallas, and there's thousands of teenagers there at this big uh, all-day uh, event, and there's lots of worship, and so, and the worship was great. It was, it was amazing, and it's, it's amazing to see thousands of teenagers worshiping together. You know, we do our own kids camp, and, and we'll do it again this next year, and we organize it, and we put it on, and we haul our kids down to the Frio River, and we put our own kids camp. But we don't put on our own youth camp, and we don't do that on purpose. We could. We could put on our own youth camp, and we could, we've got quality people um, to teach and to communicate. But the thing I want as pastor is I want our young people to see that their youth group isn't the oddity. That they're not just connected with just a, a, a weird little group of people in San Angelo, Texas that have a passion for Jesus because there's a lie that's being perpetuated that our young people are, don't care about God and are leaving God. And if we listen to only the, the chatter on the airwaves and what's coming out from our, main, from our culture, that, that somehow young people don't care about God. But it's just not the truth. It's just not the truth. And so we drag our kids to places like way out into East Texas or to Oklahoma City where there are tons of young people getting together and all of a sudden they go, Woo! We're not, al- we're not alone. It's not just us. Man, we're, we're everywhere. God's moving. And so we took these young people to this thing called the Choir of the Fire and, and it, was, it, was, it was amazing and we're, we're there worshiping. And it was good. It was good worship. And as we're there worshiping, there's, there's a song by Jesus Culture <coughs> that we sing periodically, a song called uh, One Thing Remains. And in this song, there is a lyric. And as this song came on and these kids are engaging, the, the intensity of these young people, it just went up. There was something that just resonated in their hearts with this lyric. And this lyric is sung. It says, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. You know, and I've had sang that song multiple times. 
And I'm sitting there by Nat, and we're sitting there, and we have, it's like we have the same thought at the same time, and we look at each other, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Because I had always seen it from my perspective. Bless God, I was raised with a great dad. I don't have any of these issues. But sadly, in, in our day and age, that's, that's too rare. And as these young people are, are singing it, I always said it, that his love never fails, never gives up, it never runs out. Like, like going to the faucet and it's always on. It just keeps dumping out. It just never runs out. And so, but as they are engaged and they're singing their song, there was a different flow of that lyric. And they're singing that his love never fails. Our God's love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out. It never says, goodbye, I'm done, I'm out of here. It never leaves. And man, as, I, as both of us just looked at each other, we had that same thought and, and then shared it. Man, all of a sudden, as I'm watching these young people just engage with that, and they were so hungry for that. They were so thankful that their God, their everlasting God, was that for them. And he never would run out on them. No matter what happened, no matter what they did, no matter if they were little punks or not, that he would not run out on them. Praise God that when, when we look at that little baby, we're reminded not just of a baby, but of an everlasting father who wouldn't run out. See, when Jesus shows up on the scene... There had been 400 years of prophetic silence. 400 years. Folks, the United States of America isn't even 250 years old. We think back to revolutionary periods, and that's ancient history. No, we're rolling way, 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 way back to hit 400 years, folks. And this was the people of God who were used to hearing the voice of God through the prophetic ministry of the prophets on a regular basis. And Malachi's voice ends it and there's no marked voice, prophetic voice of God until the baby. 400 years of silence. Right when the people of Israel are thinking, God's run out on them. They're there at being, they're a dominated people with the most powerful country that they had ever even could conceive, the Roman Empire dominating them. That God so proves that he will not run out, that he inserts himself as a child into the middle of that story. Our hearts long for this. I ran across a story about a father in Spain that years ago when uh, there was not all the social media and all of the ways to get the word out like there is today. There was a father and son that had a falling out. And it went for years. And the father finally got done. He was like, I just can't stand it anymore. And his son's name was Paco. And he so wanted to be reconnected with Paco. 
And the best way he knew how to do it, and he wasn't a, a super, super educated guy, and he, he goes down and he goes to the newspaper, and he's like, I, I'll, just, I'll just run a little ad in the newspaper, and he's there in Madrid. And he runs this little ad in the newspaper to try to get the word out to his son, Paco. And he simply places this ad. He says, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The dad puts that in there and waits, waits, waits for Saturday to come. And when he strolls down the street a little before noon to go place himself out there to reconnect with his Paco, He's blown away because there's 800 plus young men named Paco who read the ad and so wanted to reconnect with their dad. Only one got to. But there was this place where don't all of us, don't all of us long for an eternal father that is just always there? Don't all of us want it? Isn't it put in our DNA that somehow that's the way that fatherhood should be? That it's not dependent on this or that, but there's something constant and there and strong that should be there for us. And sometimes we wrongly place that on men's shoulders that can't carry it. When there's a set of eternal shoulders that was meant to bear it forever and for always. And that is our Heavenly Father. See, Matthew 1.23 says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. We don't use this name for Jesus near enough. See, I love it that, that, that the writer even put it in there, put it in there says, which means God with us. That he is Emmanuel. We pull it out at the holiday season. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We sing it and we don't refer to Jesus as Emmanuel. But may I tell you what, what's one of the first places I go when I'm talking to someone who's, who's brokenhearted and feels disconnected with God is I remind them that there is an Emmanuel, that that is God with us. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And when Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He's giving them this, this grand assignment Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here is what gives them the boldness and the courage to do it. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What gives us the courage to step out and to live the life God's called us to live is that He is there. He is with us. 
We also want to look at the truth that Jesus is our connection to the everlasting Father. See, without Jesus, we could not have an everlasting Father. We couldn't have one. We were disconnected from God. See, I love it that John 3.16 refers to Jesus as his, the, his only begotten Son. But later on in Paul's writings, he refers to us as the firstborn among many brethren. So is it Jesus is the only, only Son? Or are there lots of sons of God? Well, there was one Son born so that there could be a whole lot of us reborn. That was what this whole plan was about. God wanted sons and daughters, and so what did he give? A son. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, in our day and age of tolerance and all of the different stuff, this, it often comes across that, that Christians are, are very close-minded and exclusive about this whole thing. And then you're like, well, you know, we ought to be very, very tolerant. We're not hateful to other people of religions. Their, their, their desire to worship is rooted in this thing that should be drawing them to God. And, and, but the truth is, the truth is, there's only one way to connect with the, with the one and only God, and that's Jesus. It's not narrow-minded. It's not being exclusionary. It's just the truth because Jesus is the only one who was able to bridge that and make that connection. He was the only one who could come and to, to be everything that we needed him to be. He's the only one who was able to die for our sins, to, to bring a place of peace and wholeness to us. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. John 5, 45 through 47 says, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. Now this was inflammatory language. I mean, this is fighting words. And to him talking to these good Jewish, Hebrew, Israelite people. Their hopes had been set on Moses. Moses was their great guy, brought them the law so that they could took them out of the out of the captivity of Egypt and almost to the promised land. Almost there. Didn't get any better in their minds than Moses. But he says, and Jesus is coming and saying, I'm not come to accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses. On whom your hopes are set. You think by, they thought by obeying the law and doing all the stuff, jump through the hoops that they were going to be able to, to undo everything and make God happy. It says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he's the one that wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? See, though there was, there was this place where the law accuses, and Jesus wanted to come in and to reconcile. There's a place where the law shows that we don't measure up. We don't. We can't do it. The law shows us. You think you're good? All right, go ahead. Get the measuring stick out. See if you did it. Nope. You didn't. It accuses you. 
And Jesus said, I didn't come here to accuse you. I came here to show you. I came here to connect with you. I came here to bring reconciliation. Hebrews 7.22 says, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now that there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in the office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a, per- he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus didn't come to accuse. He came to intercede. He came to bring connection to the Father. And then the last thing we want to do in looking at Jesus and our everlasting Father is that Jesus shows us what the Father is like. If your image of who God is doesn't grow directly out of who Jesus is, then you've got a wrong image. I don't care if you can quote scripture and verse for it. I don't care if you can sit there and you can build your case and you can go all over the Bible. If it isn't first and foremost rooted in who Jesus is and what he's done, you have assembled out of the Bible an improper view of that father. You've piecemealed one together. By grabbing this verse and that verse. Jesus came to put all of the debate to end on who God is and show us who the Father is. That's what he has come to do. He couldn't show us anything else. That's It's in his DNA. It's who he is. Man, my kids, they're, thankfully, man, they're, you know, they got some of their mama in them. Because all I was able to give them was what I got to give that was it. And what's hilarious is, is there's some things, and you who have kids, you've seen this. There's some things that you did as a kid that you matured out of that you didn't ever tell those stories because they were too embarrassing. And you quit doing them. But yet when your kids come along, all of a sudden they're doing the same thing. You're like, seriously? I so hope that wouldn't happen. There's so many times that Cutie will see one of my boys do something, and she's like, seriously, why? Why'd you pass this down? I don't know. They never witnessed me act like that or do something like that, and it's just there. It's just in them. They represent the Father. And all, it's Glory. Let's look at John 14. It says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, Philip, he asked the questions. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus has already said, if you've you've seen him, you've already seen him. Right here. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. Anyone Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me 
who is doing his work. You want to know how your everlasting father talks? Look at how Jesus spoke. You want to understand how he operated? Look at how Jesus operates. He is the reflection. He came to show us. He came to end the debate of what God is like and just finally showed us what God is like. John 10, 24 and 30 says, The Jews who were there <clears throat> gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Like you're just kind of dancing around this thing. Just go ahead and say if you're the Messiah or not. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now I want us to look real quickly at the parallels here. Because they had, this is a group of people who had been, who understood Isaiah chapter 9 frontwards and backwards and understood that that was messianic and prophetic. And Jesus just goes through down the line, covering point by point. They were supposed to receive a wonderful counselor. Jesus says here, My sheep, listen to my voice. They're supposed to receive a mighty God. He says, the works I do testify about me. How much mightier can it be? People have risen from the dead. People sick from birth, blind from birth. Miracles of all sorts of kinds have taken place. Is that not a mighty God? The everlasting Father, my Father has given them to me and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then the last piece is alluded to, the Prince of Peace. Because the Messiah is who they were looking for. That Prince of Peace. The Messiah was the, the one who was promised and, pro and prophesied who would come and would ultimately bring peace for what they thought was Israel. God had a much bigger plan than just that. See, we look through this. Jesus is this for us. He is. He's that everlasting Father. We can look to Him and lean on Him. See, our bottom line, God is our everlasting Father, and there's nothing that you will face that's too challenging for Him. Nothing. Nothing. You can trust Him. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on you. He is your everlasting Father. So as we celebrate this holy day, and that is what this is for us, it's a holy day. We choose to worship and, and recognize it on December 25th, and we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us the date, so we got one. We use it. 
There, there was that debate whether or not it's accurate, but we, we celebrated on that day. And it's a holy day for us. And as we celebrate this holy day, remember what an amazing, big, full gift God gave you in Jesus. He really is the greatest gift ever given. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.